You are listening to Enlight, the podcast for education, leadership, and innovative teaching. Hello. In today's episode, we dive into the heart of aerospace education with our esteemed guest, Professor Rhea Lim, an assistant professor from the Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering. We'll be exploring the challenges faced when teaching complex concepts like aircraft design and programming to undergraduate students. She'll also share insights into an innovative computational platform developed for teaching purposes and how it enhances student learning through interactivity and real-time feedback. Rhea's insights on the balance between fundamentals and advanced methods and the importance of love and passion in teaching are not to be missed. And welcome to another episode of the Enlight Podcast. Today, we're very lucky to have with us a guest who is well known here at HKUST, Professor Rhea Lim. She is currently an assistant professor in the Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering at the University. And uh, during her academic career here at UST, she has been twice awarded the School of Engineering Teaching Excellence Appreciation Awards, both in 2018 and 2021. In 2021, she also won the UGC Teaching Award for the Early Career Faculty Members category. Her research and teaching focused on aeronautical engineering and aerospace computation, particularly in aircraft design and air transportation applications. And um, I think you'll find what's evident today is that she's got a lot of passion for her research area, but also for teaching the subject. And uh, we're very lucky to have you here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. And thank you for inviting me. Such an honor. (laughs) Yeah, it's a pleasure. I I recently listened to you give a talk to the uh, Hong Kong Teaching Excellence Association, HKT, and you talked a little bit about teaching science and engineering in a rapidly changing world and how to stay relevant. And I was quite inspired about what you talked a lot during that session. Could Maybe let's kick off by uh, talking a little bit about your main message of that talk. Basically, I think during that, that talk, I want to invite fellow teachers and maybe also students to understand the key challenge of teaching and learning in the rapidly evolving world. So if I may quote Richard Riley, a former U.S. Secretary of Education, he said that we are currently preparing students for jobs that don't yet exist using technologies that haven't been invented in order to solve problems we don't even know are problems yet. So I think this is the key challenge or a summary of the key challenge. And he said it in the early 90s. So this was in the era where Internet and automations were not as common as they are now. And now, 30 years later, I think we can see that, that it is actually a challenge and it is a challenge that we are still facing right now. So, you know, the development of technology sometimes, you know, needs to be supported by the development of the infrastructures as well as the education system, how to prepare our students for the jobs that we don't even know exist. So I think that is a key challenge in teaching in this modern world. A lot of people have talked about critical thinking. I think it is a very common topic, but I also wanted, or at least in that talk, I wanted to introduce or remind people of the concept of liberating education, which is the opposite of banking education, where teachers just deposit knowledge to students. But with liberating education, I think teachers should actually invite students to to be more involved in a thinking and a learning process, to be able to understand the world, not as an image that the teachers pose on them, but, you know, something that they build through the learning journey. 
Yeah, in a sense, you're talking a little bit about transferable skills, mm-hmm. right? And getting them to think about critical thinking yes, yeah. in, within the context of your course, but also preparing them for other contexts beyond your course mm-hmm. and in a rapidly changing world. Do you feel that this is a growing need, like it's becoming increasingly important that we do this as educators? Uh, yes, I think reflecting uh, on the time where I was a student, which is around like 25 years ago as an, a UG student, the amount of things that we were learning at the time are much less that, you know, at that time we didn't have to learn much about AI, machine learning. But now I think programming, understanding machine learnings have become very common. But at the same time, I think the UG education still has to be done within four years, at least so far. So within these four years, we have to, to still teach the basic, the fundamentals, which is very important. But at the same time, they, they need to know how to learn. I think that's the most important thing. Because we cannot predict what will come 10 years, 20 years from now, where they will be active in the workforce. But if they know how to learn and they know how to adapt to new environments, I think they will be able to strive. Yeah. What, what kind of approaches have you taken then to get students to learn how to learn? Because this is, this is difficult. I see. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think the first thing, we need to realize the importance of being self-motivated. Mm-hmm. So I think students enjoy learning or will be motivated to learn if they know the purpose. So in my courses, I usually have these self-learning assignments mm-hmm. where I really want students to experience this enjoyable learning experience by letting them choose the topic that they like uh, within the context of aerospace engineering. And they should do um, mini research on that and they write a term paper. What I observe from that assignment is that students are really appreciative of the opportunity that they can learn something that they really like and actually get credit for it. So I think the motivation is one thing. If students are exposed to purpose-driven learning, because this is something that they do to understand or to know more something about what they really like, I think it will make a lot of difference. I think it's important. In a sense, you're kind of talking about the difference between learning orientation and goal orientation. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these are two very different motivation factors that are involved, right? Learning motivation is kind of what you're talking about, right? And what you want the students to do to learn how to learn, but also be learning oriented to actually acquire the, the knowledge. But unfortunately, sometimes some of our students are goal oriented Mm -hmm. and that's their motivation. It's the GPAs, it's the grades, it's getting that certificate or that final examination, that perfect score. How do you change their orientation, their mindset? So can you, do you have any advice? Okay, I think that's that's a very difficult question. It is a difficult Um, question. And I know know it is an ongoing discussion. I think we talk a lot about it among teachers and also with other staff of the university. It is hard because students are influenced by the the smaller social units that they encounter when they were young, which is family. Mm. So and we cannot really go against what their parents say. So so that that is a fact. I think as teachers we have to respect that as well. My approach is usually try to make students understand. Like uh, if we only ask them to to do something or to change their mindset, then it's not going to work as long as they cannot see what it is for. So I think it is important for teachers to lead by examples. So so we, we need to show that we really enjoy learning and, you know, just the learning process itself is rewarding for us. And then it is actually useful. Yeah. You know, I always tell my students that when I was an undergrad student like you are now, School was hard, but I really enjoy it. So that's how I managed to get good grades. And at the same time, I had a good time. So I think the key is for students to understand why they need to do this. 
And that can be done by a lot of sharing mm-hmm. and a lot of leading by examples, you know, just to show them how joyful we are when we are teaching, even when they correct me or when uh, I learn something new from students, then they can see my joy. I don't need to tell them that you have to do this, you have to do that, because that usually doesn't work. <laughs> Isn't that a nice feeling? I mean, I, you described a feeling that I've experienced myself, too. When your students teach you something... Mm-hmm. Right. It, it's yeah, a bit yeah. humbling, but at the same time, it, it's very joyful. I actually enjoy mm. when that occurs, exactly, right? Exactly. Because yeah, you show yeah. the students like, hey, we're all learning. It's a process. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think the fact that they can see that, they can see that we are learning too, and we don't mind learning from students, and yeah. we still enjoy the process. And I always uh, remind students that university essentially is a place for continuous learning, and that applies for me and for your other teachers as well. So they, they appreciate that. I remember from your talk, a lot of this comes from your inspiration, from your own experience, from your own teacher. Yeah, Maybe if you can explain a little bit about that background for us, because I think that's an important step because research shows actually teachers and their approach to teaching and learning has a direct impact on students' approach to teaching and learning, which has a direct mm-hmm. impact on learning outcomes, mm-hmm. right? So uh, hearing stories about how a teacher's inspired you is nice. It's very useful. Yeah, I think I'm very lucky in that sense. But I would say that uh, before my teachers, I think I should thank my parents first. I think, you know, like I grew up in a family where everybody loves learning. (laughs) Uh, I saw my parents, they kept reading new books and they took new courses randomly, not because they had to, but because they really enjoy the process. And my aunts and uncles are also like that. Most of them, at least, you know, growing up, I never saw learning or studying as a burden. To me, it was part of life. Because I saw my parents, they learn as if it is just, you know, part of their enjoyment. They like it when they learn something new. And that's how they also taught us as a kid. Like sometimes they just took us outside the house and, oh, see this, see this. Do you know how it works? Do you know how that works? So I think that's the first time I actually had this curiosity. Uh, That was also the first time I was exposed to, to science, to logical thinking. So that's my father, my mother, when I was like five years old. That itself already changed the way I see learning. And that is very important because I didn't see learning and studying as a burden, but I just, you know, this is enjoyable and it's useful for us. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, some of the teachers I encountered, uh, especially in high school, you know, they show that you have to learn not to excel in exams. You have to know the purpose of your learning. Even if you score like straight A's in the exams, what's the point if it doesn't help other people, if you cannot help the society? So you have to think about the purpose of your learning. So I think that was part that was emphasized in my high school learning, that you have to be able to see the purpose. And that purpose itself will be the motivations that will keep driving you. Yeah, I mean, and and so you've taken this into your own teaching and learning practices. And how does that kind of design help with highlighting the purpose to students, right? Because sometimes that's the difficult part is actually showing them the purpose of learning. Students might see, yeah, the ILOs at the beginning of the course. Mm -hmm. They see the assessments, the exams. But unless it's explicitly explained to them repetitively throughout a course, my experience is students don't always see the purpose of what they're learning and why. Is that the case with you? Well, students are different, right? Like they they, they have different ways of learning and different things attract them. So I think first we need to know what motivates them and what help them understand what kind of message we are trying to convey to them. So I think in experiential learning, first it gives the students the opportunity to relate what they learn in class 
with what they can experience in their daily life. So I think that is the the key components of experiential learning. Another aspect of your teaching and learning that you've talked a little bit about, before we started this interview, you mentioned a discussion that you had with a student and how you've already been uh, yes. on a student-produced <laughs> podcast. Part of that was about women in your field. So I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit about the importance of diversity and inclusion in the classroom and how you incorporate that into your values of teaching and learning. I believe that diversity brings quality, and I think mm. this is something that we need to implement in our teaching in general. But diversity is not only for gender diversity, and diversity is not only about treating different types of students in the teaching and learning context. I think diversity is to provide opportunities for everybody to excel. So I think if I see diversity in my classroom teaching, I focus on that. So first, everybody has to feel comfortable. And believe it or not, some of the female students actually told me that they felt like they're minority in the classroom because mm. usually I teach classes with majority of male students. So how to make them feel comfortable in the classroom? And that doesn't only apply to female students, of course. Mm-hmm. There's also an ethnic minority who might feel they're not part of the majority. So, so, you know, how to make all of them feel like they belong to the class? So I think that requires a role from the teacher. So sometimes I try to relate First, I try to know them and try to remember their names and try to include them nicely in the classroom discussions. Sometimes if I see that some students, especially the international students who are new to Hong Kong, sometimes I will give like examples about different countries. So it's not only about Hong Kong, like not only about Hong Kong airports, but you know, what happens to these airports, what happens to these airlines. So I think that actually makes them feel like inclusive. And then the second is to provide opportunities for everybody to excel. So again, not everybody is doing well in exams. You know, some people who didn't do very well in exam can actually do very well in other assignments like term papers or discussions or essay. Of course, exam is still very important. I still see a lot of values in having exams. So without sacrificing that, I also give other types of, I diversify the type of assignments Mm. such that students still have opportunities to, to do better than others. Yeah. So when you diversify the assignments in that sense, you're trying to be more inclusive in knowing that uh, students might have a skill set better in one area than mm-hmm. as opposed to another area. Are there chances for them to get feedback during this process? Uh, yes, of course. For example, in the term paper assignments, my TAs and I will give like very detailed feedback, yeah. both about the technical contents and also um, about the writing style and even about the formatting. So we, so we always give feedback. And even for exams and for homeworks, obviously, we always give like detailed feedback. That's part of our commitment. And that's part of the commitments that I ask from my TAs. Yes. So even for exams, I think they can contact me after they get the grades and to see where they did wrong and uh, where they can improve. So feedback is important. Uh, feedback is absolutely important. Yeah, in yeah. The and we process. have to be transparent, I think. Yeah. The grading criteria has to be very clear. And, mm. and sometimes in my experience with feedback, it's really important going back to the purpose of learning is it helps reemphasize to the students why they're learning, what they're mm-hmm, learning, mm-hmm. and also showing them that what they're learning now, what they were just assessed now could be through my feedback applied in another mm-hmm. context, transferable skills in that sense. Mm-hmm. Going back to the diversity and being inclusive, 
I like what you were talking about. I, I know my own experience in the classroom is uh, sometimes silence. Silence is, you know, every teacher's enemy. Mm-hmm. And various teachers I've talked to have different approaches to mm-hmm. this, right? How do we make students inclusive? How do we get them to engage and overcome this issue of silence? Mm-hmm. And I've thought a lot about it over the years, and I've read a little bit about it, and I've learned that silence is actually more complex than we mm-hmm. tend to understand. <laughs> Right. It's not it's not just a simple the students don't want to talk. Mm-hmm. Right. It could come back to this di- diversity issue. They're shy mm-hmm. because they feel they're not representative or, or it could be simply that they had an argument with the parent in the morning, you know, and they just don't want to talk. Right. Yeah, there, yeah. It's a very complex situation. Right. Um, your advice. Something I've asked other teachers this question. What is your advice? How do you handle silence in the classroom? OK, I think. uh I haven't had that much problem with silence before, but uh-huh. I think it, it also depends on how you carry the conversations. I think not just the teaching, but the conversations. First, I try to get to know some of the students. You cannot really know every student, right? Because some of them are not even active. Mm-hmm. But uh, I observe that when I start talking with some students, it will actually encourage other students to join. Mm. So by making the relationship personal, well, not really personal, but, you know, at more partner level instead of the, uh, oh, okay, Jason, what do you think about this? If some, if nobody actually says anything, but, you know, there, there are some students who are actually very active. Mm-hmm. So I think you can do that. But at the same time, I think it is very important for them to see that we actually accept and appreciate wrong answers. Yeah. So for every wrong answers, I will say why it is wrong. And then sometimes if they're really silent, then I will say, just say something. One of you will be correct. Give me some random answers, even if you're not sure about that. And I'll try to guide you to reach to the correct answer. That's only possible because they feel comfortable talking with me. And then they realize, you know, because in every semester I would have done some mistakes you know, mistakes in solving the exercise problems uh, on the board or something. But then they know that I acknowledge my mistakes and I'm actually okay with mistakes. That gives them confidence that, okay, teachers can be wrong too. And it's actually okay. It's part of the learning process. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's just changing their mindset in that way, Mm -hmm. isn't it? Right. Mm -hmm. I've had similar experiences. Uh, At first, they're reluctant. They're you yeah. know, I don't want to make a mistake. But once they, they're comfortable and they realize that yeah, it's a yeah, safe being comfortable. environment, yes, yes, yes. Uh, they'll make mistakes. That we appreciate whatever they say. And it's okay, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and we are here just to help. Like, so even if you give me wrong answers, I'm not going to reprimand you. I'm not going to ask you, what did you learn? <laughs> you know, but okay, that that is almost there. But I think you'll see it from this point of view. And it what about from the other point of view? If you enjoyed this podcast, subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform. Enlight is on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and many more. Now let's get back to the conversation between Dr. McMinn and Professor Lim. So far, we've had an enlightening chat with Rhea about the complexities of teaching aerospace engineering to undergraduates and the importance of engagement and feedback. As we continue our conversation, we discuss our innovative educational platform designed to simplify aircraft design and programming concepts for undergraduate students. The interactive tool helps students understand the impact of changing variables on different aspects of aircraft design, making the purpose of learning more explicit. 
Coming back to uh, some of the projects that you've done with CEI, you've received some grant money to mm-hmm. work on some projects. Yes. I wonder if you can explain a little bit about your work. I'm teaching aerospace engineering, and one of the courses that I'm teaching is aircraft design. Mm-hmm. So it is a very complex because aircraft is complex and teaching aircraft design within one semester to undergraduate student is very tough. And another component that is important in aircraft design that students often overlook is actually programming. But as we know, mechanical engineering, aerospace engineering students might not be the best programmers. They don't realize the importance of programming and sometimes they just want to skip it. Mm -hmm. Uh, So typically, uh, before I had this project, this platform development, uh, we had to struggle to teach them programming we had to struggle to teach them the aircraft design, and then they, they have to put them together within one semester in a course project. Okay. So it's a bit distracting, and sometimes they relied on commercial software, which is great, but some of them might not be very suitable for teaching for educational purpose because they provide you the beautiful plots but students might not know whether it is correct or not. So actually, the really nice visualizations of those commercial software can be double-edged swords. Like, of course, they're very, very useful if you understand what's going on. But most of our students might not be there yet. And yet, at the same time, they have to finish the course project. So I think motivated by those observations and also coming from aerospace research community, I, I realized the importance of programming. Like it or not, you have to learn it. You know, I didn't like it the first time I learned it, but then now I like it because I really appreciate what it can do. And then third, in the student faculty meetings in my department, students often raise up the issues that, you know, they wish programming is a challenge for them and they wish there would be a way for us to teach them programming better. But at the same time, we are mechanical and aerospace engineering. We are not computer science or computer engineering. So it's kind of uh, difficult to reach a good balance. So these two actually motivated me to start this development of the computational platform for aircraft design, specifically for educational purpose, mm-hmm. not really for research, which there there have been a lot out there, but specifically for educational purpose to make it simple enough, yet transparent enough for students to understand what's going on, like the concept behind the plots that they see. And, uh, you know, we make the, the platform to be more interactive such that students can see when they change one variable, what happened to the aerodynamics performance, what happened to the stability. So we do it in an interactive way. We hope that that helps students learn programming and to use the platform to gain more intuitions about the complex and multidisciplinary nature of aircraft design. Because some of the different disciplines, the aerodynamic structures, propulsion, stability, they are already put together in a framework. So students can see the relationship easily. So in a sense, it sounds like a lot, I mean, this is coming back to a lot of the theme of what we're talking about. What you're doing here is you're helping make the purpose of the learning more explicit to them, right? The programming, because before yes, this, yes. they just, what's, why do I have to, I'm not, I'm not a programmer. Why do <laughs> yeah. I have to know this? Right. So you're helping them with learning that purpose, right? Mm-hmm. But also it sounds like they're getting real time feedback yes. as well on something that's complex mm-hmm. and they don't always fully understand, right? And by looking at different variables through yes. this platform, they're able to get feedback on stuff. So that helps them with the process of learning as mm-hmm. well. So it's the process, it's about the purpose, it's about feedback. Mm-hmm. And it's also contextual in that sense. Yeah. Um, any plans to further developing it or? 
Uh, it is still ongoing. Yeah. Like I think in terms of the uh, functionalities, I think it is there. But we want to make it more collaborative mm-hmm. or more suitable for collaborative projects. Because, you know, aircraft design is usually is a team project. Yeah. So we are trying to find an effective way to promote more collaborations between students and maybe between students and teachers too. So that's current yeah, state. It's a, a growing theme is collaboration between teachers and students, yeah, right? Yeah. And it would be interesting to see how we can explore those areas more. Maybe I'll wrap it up just to get some advice from you. Uh, what advice would you give any aspiring aerospace educators uh, in terms of staying relevant and effective in a rapidly changing field? Because it is rapidly changing. Yes, right? yes. Um, I think the first thing is to love it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that goes without saying. I think love and love passion it. really, really, really help. Um, because a few years after I finished my PhD, there are so many new things that I have to keep learning Uh, you know, to be able to know what to teach my students, right? At the same time, I think uh, we have to remember that teaching the basic, the fundamentals is still very important. Sometimes students ask me, why don't you just teach us the software? Why don't we just skip the textbooks and do what the software can do? Actually, almost every year we get questions like that. But no, the textbooks is important because if you go to major aerospace company, They start with those empirical equations, those empirical relationships that you might think not fancy enough, Mm. but they start with that. So we have to always reach the balance between teaching the fundamentals as the students has a very strong understanding of the fundamentals. And at the same time, we teach them how to learn, how to adapt to, to new software or new solution methods that will come in the future or right now. Yeah, not much advice, actually. First, if you love and you're passionate about what you're doing, then it's like half of the job done. (laughs) And then second, to realize the importance of balancing the the basic fundamentals and also what's up and coming in the field. I would also like to add, I mean, what you started off with in our interview today is that we don't know what we don't know, (laughs) right? And that in the sense that what skills will be needed in the future, right? Mm -hmm. And yeah, you have to have the passion and, and love for what you're doing. But you also have to have the um, adaptable mindset. Right? It's, I think in, in my talk last time, it was called the elastic thinking. Elastic thinking. Yeah. 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 Uh-huh. yeah. And I think that's important to, in today's world. I mean, for example, mm-hmm. when you were talking about the program and I kept on thinking about, and this has been a key topic on my mind for the last few weeks is uh, chat GPT. Oh, yeah. And, and, and Everybody's talking about Everybody's it. talking about that. <laughs> And uh, when you were talking about programming, and I thought, well, just get ChatGPT to do the programming for <laughs> me, right? But you, I'm glad that you mentioned something very key, is that you still need to have knowledge of the topic yes. of the area, right? Strong domain knowledge. Strong domain knowledge. Because what AI will give you might be good for a foundation, a starting point. Mm-hmm. But you really need your domain knowledge to make it better and expand from there, right? You still need your creative thinking, your critical thinking, your problem solving, I right? Think, yeah. Yeah. It's non-negotiable. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> AI can only help with scaling up, Yes, I, I believe. It's useful, but only for scaling up. Yeah. yeah. Thank you very much for joining us. It's My been pleasure. a pleasure chatting <laughs> with you about all of this. All the best, and I look forward to hearing more of your successful stories in the classroom. Thank you. Thank, thank you for inviting me. It's good to share this experience as fellow teachers. Yes, exactly. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for listening to Enlight. 
brought to you by the Center of Education Innovation of HKUST. We hope you found today's episode insightful and thought-provoking. Enlight is produced by the team at CEI, hosted by Dr. Sean McMinn, graphic design by Ling Wong, sound design by Ken Yu, and a big thank you to our editorial team, Beatrice Chu, Amy Chong, Crystal Luo, and Yui Lam. Thank you again for listening to Enlight, and we look forward to bringing you more engaging conversations in the future.